from prototype to puzzle piece. Innovation is everywhere. Bold ideas and innovations are of the here and now, just waiting to be discovered, just waiting to be implemented. While real progress doesn't happen overnight, it's anything but impossible. Heart failure. It's estimated that 600,000 Canadians live with it and it's on the rise. There's no cure and many patients who require advanced treatment options lack access. Is there a better way? On this episode of Boldly, we're speaking with Gabrielle Georges, Joule Innovation Grant recipient and fourth year medical student at the University of Montreal. Gabriel is receiving a grant for Puzzle Medical Devices, a company with the goals of making hemodynamic support safer, more accessible, and reducing the global economic burden of heart failure. To accomplish that, they created Module Heart, a minimally invasive heart pump that is assembled, like a puzzle, inside the patient using transcatheter technology. Gabriel, thank you so much for being with Jewel today. Oh, that's absolutely my pleasure, Tamara. Thank you. Oh, excellent. So, uh, I'm so excited to be with you today uh, as a 2019 uh, Jewel Innovation Grant recipient. Uh, we're always very excited to get to know uh, the new cohort of recipients. Um, you know, I, I have to ask you, uh, what was it like to find out uh, about the grant? Oh, I was basically uh, in the office uh, a little late at night, and I got the call, and I didn't know who it was. It was coming from Ottawa. And I decided to pick up, and then I had uh, the announcement, and uh, I just jumped off my chair, and I, I was so happy. And then I, I got to tell the, the whole team the next morning, and everybody was, uh, was cheering for us. So that was, uh, it was quite amazing. So it felt like we were on top of the world. Oh, and I'm so happy to hear that. Uh, you know, we feel very connected to our grant recipients, and, uh, you know, certainly um, very proud of the work that you've done, and it's very deserving. Thank you very much. It means a lot. Well, so let's get this started. So uh, you're a medical student, and you're interested in cardiology. Where did that interest come from? I guess some of it started off um, with some people in my family having uh, cardiovascular diseases. I had my grandfather who had severe heart failure, um, and I had also some first-degree relatives that underwent uh, chemotherapy and had early-onset heart failure. And so I sort of... um, decided to learn a little bit more about the disease when I was a little bit younger, I guess. And then through my medical degree, um, I really, really loved my cardiology class. And I guess that would be in part because before getting in medical school, I hesitated quite a bit between engineering and medicine. And I think cardiology really regroups both my interest in everything that's physics, uh, fluid dynamics, but also medicine. Then I did an internship um, in interventional cardiology in Norway, in St. Oslav's uh, hospital in Trondheim. And that sort of confirmed my interest for the cardiovascular system. And when I came back, I remember I was, that summer I had so many things to do, but I was basically gone for a month. And then the day I came back, I started working in a startup in Montreal. And that startup's called the Taxio Health Group. And I was building documentation to support um, nationwide programs for following heart failure patients uh, on an outpatient uh, basis. And this was more of an epidemiology review, and it was such a great eye-opener to sort of outline how much cardiovascular diseases was a burden for a system, and it sort of was a 
a call for me to to go ahead and and push in that direction to find some solutions and to study that field. That's uh, very impressive. So can you talk a little bit more about heart failure as an issue in general and what options right now are available for Canadians who require advanced treatment? Right. So heart failure is an extremely common disease. Um, and the trouble with it, of course, it's a chronic disease. So people that uh, that develop heart failure over time never really fully recover. And it just gets worse and worse uh, with the years. And when it really becomes an issue is not only when it, um, it ruins the patient's quality of life, but also when the patient ends up coming, you know, again and again in the hospital for acute decompensations. And that's really bothersome for the patient himself, but also for the healthcare system. And for healthcare providers, it's very frustrating to have a patient back on his, his feet and for a couple of days and then see him back next month. And we're really stuck um, in treating those patients. Right now, pretty much 100% of patients with heart failure are under uh, pharmacological treatment. Uh, that's the standard of care for these patients. Um, and if they have a specific cause for their heart failure, let's say they have valvular disease, then we can replace their valve. If they have electrical dyssynchrony, we can use resynchronization therapy. And this is, works for some patients, um, a very small subset of patients. And then in the higher means, we have heart transplants, uh, which are reserved for very young patients with severe disease. Um, and in the end, we have the ventricular assisting devices, which are basically mechanical heart pumps um, that can replace a heart transplant. But this, again, is for much younger patients uh, with very, very severe disease. So for the majority of the patients, you know, your typical 80-year-old um, lady that has diabetes, smoked all her life, um, and, you know, has developed heart failure over time, there's not really much to offer other than um, pharmacological treatment. And that's a huge issue because once that the medical treatment just isn't enough and the disease has progressed uh, too rapidly or, or in a too advanced state, then there's nothing really much we can do. And that's where the frustration comes from. So I'm going to suggest that that frustration you talk about is your frustration. And um, because you have made a choice to not just become a physician, but in a physician innovator, um, can we talk a little bit about what inspired you to found uh, Puzzle Medical Devices? Absolutely. Um, so maybe I'll, I'll just do a brief um, comment on why I decided to go in a direction where I would not only do uh, regular clinical duties, but also some more of an innovative uh, path. When I was um, in my first year as a medical student, I did some research in a laboratory called uh, the IRIC that's uh, joined with the uh, University of Montreal that focuses on uh, cancer uh, therapies. And I was doing molecular research on target proteins for a new drug um, that enhance hematopoietic stem cell replication. And this drug was basically turning out to be quite innovative, innovative, sorry. 
and it was going into clinical trials and there was a spin-off company built around it. And it made me realize how much innovation really changed or at least had a huge, uh, large-scale impact on patients' life. And I realized that there was no way that throughout my career I could see as many patients as I could affect if there was innovation involved in what I did. And so that's how I sort of reoriented myself to more of a hybrid path between clinical duties and, and innovation. And then I had a class, I took an extracurricular class at the École de Technologie Supérieure in uh, Griffintown in Montreal. And that was an entrepreneurship class. And in that class, we had to build a team and build um, a project and basically come up with a business plan and an idea for, for a company. And through my prior experiences, I had a lot of interest in cardiology and heart failure. So I decided to build special medical devices and that's basically how it started. We started off, we were three co-founders, um, eager to, to be on our first experiences in a startup. And now we're a group of 10 and everything's going well. So that's, uh, that's pretty much how it started. Very impressive. And I just have to say, uh, when you were describing uh, the fact that you realized you could have greater impact by, you know, expanding from a clinical role to uh, one that also included innovation, um, I find that uh, very, very powerful. And, and I really appreciate that. That must have been uh, quite a realization for you. Um, and uh, so I, I just wanted to acknowledge that, that uh, I think probably as a physician, that's very satisfying, the idea that you'd be able to have uh, a significant impact that way, because I know it must be, as you pointed out, not just frustrating to patients when there are limited opportunities, but it must be very frustrating to physicians as well. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. So do you want to talk a little bit about Module Heart? Yes. So... Modules Heart is a new type of minimally invasive heart pump, and it's meant for the patients with the most severe uh, forms of heart failure that are also the most fragile. And so it's a device that stays um, extremely easy and low risk to implant. It uses a percutaneous uh, insertion. And then we have this um, proprietary catheter-based um, assembly of the pump inside the patient. And this transcatheter technology basically allows us to provide the patient with a low risk intervention, but at the same time to also give them a chance to have uh, hemodynamic support for the long term. So our device by being modular um, has the advantage of greatly reducing the damage that it does to the blood. It allows it to be implanted on the long term to support the patient on an outpatient basis. So I'm curious about the design. Uh, you mentioned earlier uh, that um, for you going into cardiology kind of mixed the interest you had in engineering, fluid design, and medicine. Um, can I ask in terms of the design, is that, is that evident in that? Um, yeah, so I think... Um, in designing the the pump, I had to go back to my old physics books and uh, and read the, <laughs> some of the old notions I had learned then. Um, and then when I sort of came up with the idea, 
we always had discussions uh, with the two engineering uh, co-founders on the team. We went to see um, fluid dynamics experts. And so it was certainly was a great mix between engineering and medicine. Of course, I provided more of a medical point of view when I w was having those conversations, but it also allowed me to follow up on um, what the other mechanical engineering point of view was and to, and to uh, give some feedback on that. And I think having both those interests allowed in the end um, to have a great product and to, to have a solution that would both be relevant clinically and that would make sense um, on the physics side of things. That's awesome. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the the journey, the prototype journey, for instance? So, uh, you know, you develop a first proto prototype, and, and how has it evolved over time? All right. So the first prototype, uh, we focused on proving the transcatheter technology. Uh, they weren't functional parts, but they were able to interact uh, with each other. So what we did is we purchased right off um, and very advanced uh, plastic 3D printer. And that allowed us to very, very rapidly um, do some prototype iterations and show them to physicians and have some feedback. And so we basically maybe did 100 or 200 of different prototypes uh, that we tested. We were testing them every day um, after, after hours, um, the three co-founders together and trying to come up with, with the best one. Now, so now the first prototype was able to basically assemble in a plastic uh, or an in vitro mock loop. Um, and I mean, that was basically it. It didn't do uh, too many things uh, other than that. Now, from there, we moved to more sophisticated um, manufacturing methods. And now our, our device is still 3D printed, but it's not plastic anymore. It's 3D printed in titanium. And then it's manufactured um, in our laboratories where we post-process the, the 3D print. We assemble the whole device uh, in our labs, and then we benchmark it and have some quality uh, standards in place. Um, and now this device is able to both uh, assemble in a much better fashion than it used to be, of course, but also to uh, have some performances that are up to today's uh, standard of care uh, standards in, well, that are, let's, let's rephrase that. So that are up to the performance of currently available ventricular assisting devices. And we've tested that both in computational fluid dynamic studies and in virtual work, both with uh, blood analogs, with blood and plasma, uh, but also in our first preclinical trial um, that was in March of last year. So, so yeah, that, I mean, it's tremendous, the evolution that we've had in basically 15 months, uh, going from just pieces of plastic that we're able to assemble uh, using catheters to going to a fully functional device. That's amazing, 15 months. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, we usually... Uh, People are usually impressed at how fast we we were actually able to come up with the device, um, but I think 3D printing was certainly a part of it. And then having uh, building the team around the device was the next big step 
uh, just having people that are passionate about uh, about the problematic, about the solution, and a great team of, of physicians also that were surrounding us. That's excellent. We we often talk at Jewel about the fact that. Um, successes in these areas are, are, are never done by one person. It really is a team, right? When you innovate, you rely on a lot of different um, skill sets, uh, backgrounds. So, uh, you know, we're very happy for you that you've had such a positive experience. I understand, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, uh, the module heart can actually be assembled inside the patient. Is that right? That's correct. And what's the benefit of that for the patient? So to better understand um, the advantage of our device, um, we can segment the current devices in two categories. So on one hand, you have the ventricular assisting devices that are implanted surgically, either with a sternotomy or mini thoracotomy. And these are basically big pumps that allow um, for great amount of flow to be generated and they're implanted for the long term. And on the other hand, you have very small pumps that are implanted on a percutaneous, uh, with a percutaneous um, intervention. The problem with these pumps, although they are very easy to implant and low risk for the patient, is that to generate the same amount of flow than the larger pumps, they have to spin extremely fast. And when you spin extremely fast, you actually destroy a lot of the elements in the blood or activate them. So platelets get activated, there's hemolysis that occurs some coagulation factors like the von Willebrand factors get destroyed or denatured, and you get a lot of complications from that. Now, having the pump built inside the patient allows for the percutaneous access to be maintained, but at the same time, we greatly reduce the speed of our pumps, and so we reduce the damage that's made to the blood, and that's what allows it to be implanted on the long term. So it's much safer sounding to me. Well, it's actually much safer in the acute setting for the patient when the device is implanted, but it's also much safer on the long term. So some of the most common complications um, with blood pumps and even more with, with percutaneous blood pumps that's been very fast that are implanted on, on longer periods of time, um, even though it's not indicated, um, is bleeding. So there's hemorrhagic strokes, gastrointestinal bleeding, and this not only has a huge impact on um, patient mortality um, on the long term, but it also brings back patients to hospitals. There's a lot of the costs associated with that. And so if you can reduce the damage that you do to the blood and keep the same insertion profile, that's the best of both worlds. That's uh, really impressive. I want to step back for just a second. You mentioned earlier that uh, you've had a, a lot of support. You know, you had the ability to 3D print these so you could, uh, you know, um, go through the prototypes quickly, but you also had uh, support of colleagues, for instance. Like, what's the reaction with other physicians about this, this product? Um, first of all, they're usually extremely enthusiastic to... Um, see that there's new solutions that are trying to be developed. Um, usually when they're in that field, they'll absolutely want to be a part of it. Um, I think people realize the uh, compelling need that's, that's surrounding heart failure and that it's not getting any better with current therapies. 
and so usually they'll they'll be quite excited and then they'll want to know more mm-hmm. they'll want to schedule uh, either a visit at our offices and to see how the pump uh, behaves they'll try to come in, in our offices uh, see the team see how the pump uh, is assembled how it behaves in an in vitro setting and so they'll quickly want to to be involved and that's great i mean we get their feedback we get their new ideas um and i love the negative comments just as much as the positive ones because that's you know how we get better um and yeah usually they'll either they'll give their input themselves or they'll go to their contacts and see who could help us to uh, go forward this has to be terribly validating for you oh yeah that i mean every time i speak with them um, and that they're excited, it, it, it feels so great. And I feel like what I'm doing is uh, is worth it. And that's the, where I get my motivation. And also when I'm in the hospital and I see patients coming back for two decompensations, I, you know, it just gives me a boost every day to go back at night and continue working on the project. Well, I don't doubt that. And uh, you deserve the boost for sure. Um, let's think about the future. What's your big vision for Puzzle Medical Devices? So the next step right now is really to complete um, our second preclinical trial to prove um, efficacy and safety of the device. So we're aiming to complete that by the end of this calendar year. Um, then the next big step is to raise some more funds and go in uh, clinical trials, which will be done both in Canada and the U.S., uh, I hope we'll be able to to keep a foot on the ground uh, here in Montreal, maybe go uh, throughout Canada a little bit. Um, And then that's going to be a great advancement for module heart. And I hope, I mean, we already have some new devices that we've come up with and that we're we're putting patents on um, every few months. Uh, But for now, we're fully concentrating on module heart so we don't divide our strength on on different, uh, different ideas. And so... Once that's done, we'll really push for that device to go on the market as soon as possible. Once it's ready, of course, but really to try and and uh, save, tr- try and start to save lives as soon as possible. That's excellent. Is there? We, we very much appreciate the time that you spent with us today. Is there anything else you'd like to share about either Module Heart or Puzzle Medical Devices or your experience thus far as a as a, a medical learner and innovator? I guess I would have to say that coming back to my earlier comment on innovation, I think medical schools in Canada should really push for um, a surgical innovation or uh, an innovation portion of their program. I think that would really um, augment the number of, uh, of projects that are either initiated by medical students or where medical students can be a part of those projects. Because um, I think there's, I mean, it's growing, of course. The, the medic field in Canada is absolutely um, in tremendous growth right now. But I think if we can push the new generation to increase their, um, their will to participate in innovation and, you know, to lead some new projects where medical uh, ideas are brought to people that it can, can actually 
put them in place, like engineers, for example. Um, I think that would be an, an absolute uh, great strategy for uh, medicine in general and for the Canadian Medical um, um, not association, but you know, group or society, yeah. community, uh, exactly. Um, and I think the way Jewel does it is uh, is absolutely great. I think making a grant out of it and um, and having people participate in that program and at the end, you know, uh, come up with ideas and and develop their projects with the help of this organization is is tremendous. And I think universities should be a part of it and and also push for that. I know McGill has a surgical innovation program. I think everybody should have something similar. You, uh, I think you're very wise. Uh, I very much appreciate, as do all of us at Jewel, um, your insights in this area. I'm so pleased for you, not just for the grant, but for all the work that you're doing. Uh, on behalf of all of us, um, I would like to thank you for the work that you're doing. Um, I'm always grateful when um, you know, I, I know that's quite a sacrifice to go into medicine in many ways. So I do very much appreciate um, everything that you've already put into uh, your calling. Um, and I wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much, Sharma. It's been a great experience and uh, the future looks bright ahead. You've been listening to Boldly. We hope you enjoyed today's episode from Prototype to Puzzle Piece. A big thank you to Gabriel Georges for joining us and sharing his amazing story. Loved our podcast? Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud and leave a review. To learn more about Jewel, connect with us at jewelinquiries at cma.ca or visit us at jewelcma.ca. That's J-U-U-L-E-C-M-A dot C-A.